Progressive brings you Flowetry with Flow. When Flow flows, she flows in the know. Mind ruminates the rape. Shown them all, I heed the call. Seeing the rest, I choose the best. Sometimes it's ours, sometimes it's not. When the fox walks, is it called a fox trot? That's a real question. Compare Progressive Direct rates with competitors' rates. Visit Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. We are the UR Tennis Network. Our mission is to be the voice of tennis. We enlist a team of passionate enthusiasts to promote our sport. We strive to bring interesting perspectives on the many spins of tennis. Our goal is to provide the learners of our sport with current news and information from many angles. We seek active participation from communities interested in tennis, but tennis is not interested in them. We are expanding our outreach. Tennis is a true lifetime sport that needs to be talked about, and the UR Tennis Network pledges to pursue this idea relentlessly. Good afternoon and welcome to the Parenting Aces radio show on Blog Talk Radio's UR Tennis Network. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and we are actually pre-recording today's show. It is now Sunday afternoon in Atlanta, and um, we are doing a pre-recorded show this week because my guest is so busy during the week doing what he does best, which is coaching kids on the tennis court, that uh, we needed to accommodate his schedule a little bit so that I could share his wisdom and his experience with you. Just so you know, our our guest today is Coach Craig Signorelli. Craig is based in Malibu, California, and he has an interesting background in tennis, and I'm going to let him share with share that with you when I bring him on the line. But Craig's going to talk with us today about what we should look for in a tennis coach, how to find the right coach, his background as a coach and how he came into coaching, and also the specific challenges he faces coaching kids who are in that transition phase between juniors and the pro tour and what that's like. So I'm really excited to talk to him today. He's a guy that I connected with um, through social media. He is a brilliant writer, has written some great blog entries about his travel and and his experiences in life. And um, I will have some links to those posted on ParentingAces.com for you as well. They are really more adult-oriented content, so uh, use discretion if you decide to share them with your kids, but um, I'm really excited to have him on the show today. I'm going to go to a quick commercial before I bring Craig on. Because the show has been pre-recorded, unfortunately, we won't be taking any callers during the hour, but if you have questions for Craig, you can certainly uh, route them through me at my email address, fitmom at bellsouth.net or you can contact me through our Facebook page or Twitter, facebook.com slash parentingaces or at parentingaces on Twitter. So let's go to a quick commercial when we come back. Today's guest, Craig Signorelli. Alternative Lighting and Power is a renewable energy solutions-focused company with an emphasis in helping athletic facilities. We would like to upgrade your tennis complex to the 21st century. We offer a range of services that will upgrade your tennis complex. We can use our technology to make your facility virtually disappear from the energy grid. We can provide lights, scoreboards, scoring systems, cooling systems, heating systems, camera systems, covered seating areas, wastewater management, and even new buildings. Our company is located in Houston, Texas, but we provide services to all 50 states and internationally. We would love to visit with you about our opportunities. Please contact Ed Love at 832-549-4193 or email at elove at alternativel-p.com. You can also visit our website at www.alternativel-p.com. We are the sunny side of business. 
Welcome back to the Parenting Aces radio show on Blog Talk Radio's UR Tennis Network. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and I'm thrilled to introduce to all of you Craig Signorelli. Craig, are you on with us? Yes, good afternoon, Lisa. Thanks so much for that intro and the kind words and uh, for everything you're doing for the game. Well, thank you. I have learned so much from reading um, your insight and your wisdom that you've shared through your blog and through your various posts on Facebook and, and your tweets, and, and I'm really looking forward to digging a little deeper with you in this next hour. So before we kind of jump in, I want to just give you a few minutes to talk to our listeners about how you came to be a tennis coach and kind of your history in the game. You know, I, I played a little bit of junior tennis out in Southern California. I started really about 13 years old, um, took a couple lessons, but really just kind of watched the game and was a club rat and hung around hitting in the afternoons after school. And I did okay. You know, I was a very average junior tennis player. Um, and then at 19 years old, I was looking for a summer job and something fun to do. And I started coaching kids. Uh, five, six, seven, eight-year-olds and just kind of goofing around on the court. I have a lot of energy and inspiration as part of my personality, but I didn't really know much about the game. And because of the enthusiasm with which I had the kids running around, um, some of them kept trying harder and harder, and they kept getting better and better. And I realized I'm not really versed enough in this sport to be teaching at a higher level. And at that point, I made a decision to seek out the best in the business, and I spent a lot of time watching lessons and listening to guys like Jose Higueras and Robert Lansdorp and Elliot Telcher um, and a bunch of other ones and just went in as a sponge. And they were kind enough to take me under their wing, uh, teach me what they knew. And I got myself a good knowledge base and started working with kids at higher and higher levels. And some of the kids went on to nationals. And um, 23 years later, I'm still doing it and <laughs> still being tutored by Right now, I'm under the tutelage of a guy named Paul Anacone, uh, who worked with Sampras and Federer, and he's mentoring me as much as I can get time with him, and I still have that same attitude, which is just be a sponge and absorb everything I can. That's fantastic. I mean, what a gift to the kids that get to work with you to have a coach who is constantly seeking to learn more, improve, get better, and share what he knows with, with those that he comes in contact with. So I, I commend you for, for that effort and that commitment to this great sport. I think it's amazing. One of the things that that I want to talk to you about, because I think you have a unique perspective, you know, give that Parenting Aces is designed to help other tennis parents, um, like myself, do a better job at being a tennis parent. I wanted to kind of get your insight on what parents need to keep in mind as their children go through this junior tennis maze, journey, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, you know, no, I mean, it's a great question. I think what I always tell the parents when we have an initial discussion, um, right from the beginning as to whether I take the kid on as a student. Um, I ask them why they put their kid in the game. And normally the answer at a young age of five, six, seven, eight, nine is it's fun. They want their kid to go into a sport, do something athletic, and enjoy themselves. And I think, you know, that happens for the first couple of years, and then the parents start spending more money, and the kids maybe plays a tournament and has a little bit of success. Maybe they've got a talent or proclivity for the game. And something changes. The parent all of a sudden the perspective changes from enjoyment to expectation. And that's a really dangerous moment in the player development career. Um, you know, the parents are starting to look for a return for their dollar. And the kid starts to feel the pressure of, I have to win. And the parents see the player as a reflection of themselves. And so when the kid fails, the parent feels the failure. And when the kid is not necessarily trying, the parent feels like they have failed and they're not giving the kid the tools and resources so the child can succeed. And I think that as time goes by, you know, they've got that, that maybe happens at 10 or 11 years old, and the kid's got seven more years of development before they go off to college. And that seven-year window is why we see all these kids screaming and ranting and crying on the court and why we see hear these horrifying stories of crazy parents sitting in the stands yelling at their kids and yelling at opponents and, you know, doing other horrible stuff. Um, and I just think that, that if the parents can just keep in mind that the reason they put their child in the game was to enjoy it, 
to get some exercise, to learn some life lessons about discipline and commitment and practice and overcoming adversity and how some of those things later on in life will translate into law careers and medical careers and business careers, um, then maybe that child won't feel so much pressure. Maybe the kid will feel support. And if the parents can realize that this sport is used as a development of character more so than as a uh, road to a scholarship or a road to a financial comfort because the kid turns professional, I think all the kids are going to be a lot better off. Well, I mean, I think that's that's great advice. As as a tennis parent, I can tell you it's a really difficult ask, um, especially as your child starts to, like you said, maybe show, you know, a bit of talent, um, have some success on the tournament court, and, you know, the, maybe the child says, okay, you know, I want to – I want to try to play, you know, Easter Bowl next year. What do I need to do to get there? And so, you know, as a parent, you do your research, you talk to the coach, you figure out what what the path is, and you realize, oh, my God, it's going to cost me X number of thousands of dollars (laughs) in lessons, in travel, in tournament fees, in rackets and string, in shoes to help my kid attain this goal. And, you know, so maybe the goal has come first from the child. The parent, you know, as any devoted parent would do, wants to support their child's stated goal. And then let's say, you know, four months into the process, the kid decides, eh, (laughs) this is a lot more work than I thought it was going to be, and I'm not getting to spend the night at my buddy's house on the weekends because I got a tournament to play and so and so's having a party and I can't go and maybe this isn't really what I want. <laughs> Meanwhile, the parents have already spent fill in the blank thousands of dollars <laughs> on whatever. Yeah. I mean, how do you balance that? And as the coach, you know, what's your role in in helping parents? navigate this because i i mean i can tell you i i have lived that more times than not and and watched friends live it as well i get it Uh, you know it is an incredibly expensive sport it's it's brutal um for parents to try to finance kids going to all the national tournaments and you know this is the easy part when they go out on the professional circuit they start playing futures and challengers you're spending you know 60 to 100 thousand dollars a year to give them a shot when there's no return on investment um, they're not mm-hmm. even even if they win a professional futures tournament, it's eighteen hundred dollars, and they probably spent four thousand to actually go out and play. <laughs> so it's it's a loss automatically. But at the junior level, obviously there's no return except for the possible college scholarship or the professional career. And you know, for most kids, that's a rare thing. Although for most of the national kids, they're obviously going to get the scholarship at some point. But I still go back to that core reason for putting your kid in the game. It's supposed to be an enjoyable experience. And if the kid one day says to you, look, I don't want to do the work, I don't want to play, I don't want to do the practice, well, then maybe you step back and say, what's the reason for that? You know, we, we have I have constant conversations with parents about, is your child enjoying the experience, this journey of developing as a player and as a human being? And if at some point they lose the joy of it, well, they're not going to be successful in the game later on anyway because the, the professional players have a passion for what they do. So if the joy is gone, why are we continuing to push them to play the nationals and to play the competitive, play the competitive tournaments if they're not actually having fun at it? I mean, may, maybe step back and then pull them out for a little while and, and try to reestablish the fun and, and the passion for the game. Um, and I know it's expensive, and I know it's a sacrifice, but that's going to be it in not just tennis, but in any sport the kid plays or in any endeavor they go into life. So I think it's a moment where you can really teach the child about, look, here's the sacrifices you make for these opportunities. And if you're not willing to make the sacrifices, then you are not going to get those opportunities. And, again, that goes back to building the player's character and making them more of a, a well-rounded person, and then those are the tools that they go into life with. Well, okay, so as a as a jumping off point um from something you just said, as the coach, how do you help the player and you know, kind of as an adjunct, help the parents um keep from rolling everything into tennis, identifying themselves 
only as tennis players, you know, um, having their ego, and I don't mean that ego like in a cocky way, but I mean in the Freudian sense, how do you mm-hmm. help them keep their ego from being solely about tennis? And, you know, what do you have a role in that as as a coach, or is that something that's strictly the parent's responsibility? You know, I'm just curious what your take is on that. Yeah, you know, I, I talk a lot about the role of a, a teacher and a coach. You know, a teacher is kind of someone who teaches the X's and O's of the game and, and – maybe the strokes and a coach is someone who is more almost a psychologist or a mentor um, that talks a lot about life lessons and and the character of the human being. And so, um, you know, when, when I'm sorry, go back and repeat your question, if you will. I'm sorry. Well, I'm just wondering how, what your role as the coach is in, in preventing the player from being a hundred percent self-identified as a tennis player. Uh, yeah, uh, sorry, I got off track there for a second, but I, I think it's really about um, you know the, the whole experience of, of why you're playing tennis. You know, you are learning life lessons. You're learning about time management and discipline and goal setting and focus and all of those things. As you're learning them, the coach can step in and say, "Look, this is how it's going to affect you in later on in life, whether it be relationships or professional careers." And if you continue to dangle those carrots out about when the kid's 25 and 30 and 40 years old and you explain why you're teaching them these lessons, then the lessons aren't so tied up into, well, are they making me win tomorrow? Did I win this tournament and that's who I am? Who I am? You're giving them tools for their character that they understand will benefit them for the next 60 or 70 years. So their their personality and their identity is not tied into this week's loss or win, it's tied into I'm becoming a stronger, better person that's succeeding in life. And, you know, this tournament may uh, be a failure or it may be feedback. And if they look at it as feedback, they can say, okay, here's the lessons I learned from it, and here's how I succeeded on the next tournament or the next one or the next one. The junior development path is, you know, like the Golden Gate Bridge. (laughs) Eventually you get there, but along the way you're going to have a lot of parts falling in the bay and you're going to have a lot of pieces that that break off and don't quite work. But if you can see that picture at the end of the the bridge and eventually you get all the way to the other side, um, you start to understand that maybe the steps along the way aren't quite so important as long as we're ending up with the proper goal. Well, you're very wise. <laughs> um, I, I, I hope you will, um, once you're done coaching kids, I hope you'll start coaching coaches because I think you have <laughs> a lot of wisdom to share that, that others could could really benefit from. Um, thank you for that. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, so, so let's carry on with this thought. So as a parent, you know, we're looking for a coach for our kid. And I, I wrote in my blog this week, we've, we've recently had a shakeup at the club where my son trains. Um, the longtime director of tennis has sold his shares and has moved on. And so, you know, we're, we find ourselves once again in a situation where we're having to figure out what we're going to do. And for us, the timing's been really good because my son's injured right now, but then he's getting ready to travel for a bit. So it's it's not going to be an issue until the fall. And hopefully by then the dust will settle. But for for parents who are kind of at that place of looking for a coach um, or maybe looking to change coaches or maybe they're listening to you and realizing that they're not getting what they should be getting right now, what should parents expect from, from their child's coach? I mean, you know, both on a – on a daily basis, but, you know, on a more esoteric level as well. Yeah, one of the things I think our, our profession has failed to do is really be able to define what quality coaching is. Um, and I'm part of that failure as well because unless we communicate very, very distinctly with the parents about what we intend to do with the player over the next seven to ten years that we have them, um, obviously there's going to be a lot of confusion. And I think the parents need to sit down with the coach, and the coach should lay down a developmental plan uh, physically, psychologically, technically, strategically, and have the player lay out that plan and have the parents have input on that plan. So everybody really has an understanding of what this journey is going to be about 
Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe that's a maybe that's a six-month plan, maybe that's an eight-year plan, or maybe it's all the steps in between. But, you know, my role as a coach is first to ask the parent, do you want me to be involved in the character development of your son or daughter, or do you want me to be a tennis teacher who's going to teach them the strokes? And because they're such different roles, um, I need to know from the parent if I have uh, the freedom to start talking about life lessons and start talking about um, how adversity can benefit their, their child. Or do they want me to stand out there and say, look, here's how you hit a forehand, here's how you hit a backhand, this is how you're going to get better stroke production, and when you're done with all of that, then we can have another conversation two years from now or three years from now about do you want to continue with me as your mentor in life? Um, but a lot of times what happens is the coach maybe oversteps in the parent's eyes because they haven't had that discussion, and the coach will start advising on things in life, and the parent says, hey, this is my kid, I'm raising my child, knock it off. Um, so I, I think you have to set the boundaries and, and parameters up front so everybody really gets on the same page as far as what's going to happen with this kid. Um, so, and, well, so let me sorry. let me interrupt you one second. I know I told you I wouldn't interrupt, but I'm going to interrupt. <laughs> um, so as, as a parent, I'm kind of the opposite of what you just described. I don't want mm-hmm. my child's tennis coach to just teach stroke development. I fully expect that that's going to be integrated into the life lessons that you reference. And I suspect that there are a lot of, quote, coaches out there that really aren't interested in taking on that role. They really are Mm -hmm. interested solely in, in teaching the child how to hit forehands and backhands and leaving it at that. So so if I'm a parent who has those expectations of, you know, the coaches, I mean, especially once a, a kid gets into their teenage years, um, you know, sometimes it's really helpful to have an outside adult, meaning a non-parent, to impart some of these bigger lessons to them because they don't, you know, once they hit the teen years, parents are stupid and don't really know anything anyway. So, um, you know, it's, I mean, you know, sad fact, but it's true. And so, you know, if if I'm the parent that is looking for that and I'm interviewing a coach or, you know, talking to people about different coaches, how do I, how do I ask the question without offending the coach <laughs> you know, and how do I say to them, okay, this is what I'm looking for. Are you going to give me this? Yeah, it's almost a dating relationship, isn't it? I mean, you have to find out about the core Seriously. values of that coach. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're looking. You're looking at their sense of morality, their values, how they would raise a child. Um, but I, but I think the, the first thing is have the discussion with the coach about what you want. You know, one of the things that I find is parents bring a kid to a coach and say, "Will you take my kid?" Well, mm-hmm. I think a lot of that relationship can be flipped and say, look, you're in command. You're in control of your child's development as a parent, and you're asking this coach to help, and you're dating this coach to find out if the if it's the right coach for your child. But ultimately, you're responsible for picking the right person for, for your player, right? So the right. things you're looking for are, is this person going to impart the values um, do they have similar values to me and how I want my child raised? Are they willing to offer that advice and that, those perspectives on life to my child? And are they willing to play intermediary when I have a parenting issue that I want to say to my kid, but it's going to come out through the, the prism of being a parent? And instead, can I tell the coach and have the coach impart that wisdom to the child? That, I do that a lot. I, I basically tell the parents, look, don't talk to your player on the court. Talk to me. And I tell the player, talk to me, and I'll pass the, the message on to your parent. Because that gives them the freedom to be really open and honest without the emotional baggage that comes from home. So the coach has to know what that role is, and the parent has to really define it if everyone's going to be successful. But there's so much that's, that's left unsaid, and there's so much mistrust because there's, you know, a parent has one expectation and a coach has another expectation. Nobody wants to step on toes. And because the, the roles are not clearly defined – you have animosity and you have conflicts come up. Um, so I think those initial conversations have to be, look, here are our expectations as a parent and then what we want you to do for our kid. And if there are issues that come up, please come talk to us as parents and we'll resolve them and then we will pass the message on to the student. 
um, I, I just don't think a lot of those conversations happen because normally the parent shows up, the coach is on the court, the parent goes, go take a lesson. Did you have fun? Great, we'll come back. Or did you get, did your foreign get better? Great, we'll come back. And that's kind of how we define a good coach. The kid either enjoyed it or improved a little bit. So, is it is it ever too late to have that conversation with your child's coach? I don't think so. I, again, first of all, define whether it's a teacher or a coach, and then you should be in. Well, I won't say constant communication because obviously the coach is busy and they're working with twenty players or thirty players and. Um, you know, maybe they simply don't have the ability to give the maximum attention that you want to the to the player, but that's another conversation. So I, I think you have to be in constant communication about your needs and expectations, without obviously having the one hour phone call every week that's going to drive the coach crazy. Um, maybe lay them out in an email. Maybe just sit down at the end of practice for five minutes and say, "Hey, just want to let you know, here's where we are. Here's some of the things going on at home with this player. Be aware of it when they step on the court." And here's some of the messages that we think this kid is struggling with. Can you help us impart that to the player? And and so then how, as a parent, do we judge success in those things? I well, mean, again, they're, that they're comes pretty, down, pretty out there. <laughs> yeah, for, for me, that comes down to the original development plan and are we meeting those goals. You know, for me, I, I set a lot of um, performance goals instead of outcome goals. I don't really look at rankings and wins and losses. I look much more at, okay, you know, for this six-month training block, I need this player to try to get to the net 16 times per set, let's say, or, or you know, hit nine backhand down the line winners per match, whatever it may be, or serve volley 10 times uh, per, per set. Um, what I'm looking at are very specific goals that will build an all-around game. So by, by the time this kid turns 17 or 18, They've built a game that is complete with all of the tools required to be a successful collegiate tennis player. And so they have a complete understanding of what they do well on the court. They know their tactics on the big points in the match. They know how they finish points. They know their strategies. They know whether they're offensive or defensive. They know when to, what kind of adjustments to make. Um, so the player should be very well-rounded. And so when the parent has a conversation with the coach, they should be having conversations like that. What is, this, what is this player going to look like at 17 or 18 years old when schools are looking at them or when they're thinking about professional tennis? And if the coach can't uh, provide a vision for that picture, then you might start to question, are we on the right path with this person? They need to have a clear understanding of where that kid's going, and so does the parent and so does the player. So when you have those specific goals during matches that you mentioned, um, do you share those with the parent as well, or are you attending every single match this kid plays? No, I rarely attend uh, junior matches. What I do is I ask the parents to come back to me with feedback on whether the player met their goals. I'll never ask the score of a match. I don't really care. Um, what I ask is, on the deuce points, did the player serve here or return here and do this? Uh, did the player meet the goal today of 10 servant rallies? Did the player play with a inside-out pattern today? And if the player is doing that, then I know that what is happening on the practice court is then translating into a match. I can't control whether the kid wins or loses, right? I can give them the tools right. to go out there and compete, but who knows if they're playing the number one player in the country or number 5,000 in Southern California. Um, what I can control is whether that kid has a clarity of vision on their game, whether they're organized about their game plan, whether they are continuing to fight, and in the pressure moments, are they reverting back to what they do well? If they're doing those things at 12, 13, 14 years old, they're probably going to be successful later on. Well, so I asked the parents for you... feedback on that. Sorry. Sorry. So, so how do you then educate the parents to stay away from did you win or did you lose, what was the score, how many times did you double fault, why did you hit that shot on that point, your coach told you not mm -hmm. to do that. <laughs> how, how do you educate us to to do better when our child comes off the court? You know, that, that question you just asked, why did you do this, is probably one of my favorite questions. <laughs> um, because what the kid hears is, why did you do this, you idiot? 
<laughs> when exactly. the coach says exactly. it is, when the coach yeah, when the coach says it is, why did you do this? Please explain it to me so I understand what you were thinking in that moment. And so the conversation is very different because of who asks it. And I think yes. the parents should always understand that what they're saying is maybe not what the kid hears. And so I often have the parent and child sit down and I say, okay, mom or dad, can you please ask the question of the player? And then I'll say, stop. And then I'll say, player, what did you hear? And it's pretty illuminating when the parent hears, uh, hears what the player actually heard. So you break it yeah. down for them. And, and a lot of it is kind of sitting down with the parents and teaching them how to be a coach and take on the role of coach as opposed to taking on the role of parent. The player post-match, pre-match, uh, needs a coach to be with them. When they get home and, and the match is over and the tennis is, you know, off the table, then it becomes the parent-child relationship again. And so the player, uh, when communicating with the parent, has to understand, either, is the parent acting as a parent or is the parent acting as a coach? And if they're clear about that, then a lot of the things the parent is going to say is not going to be as offensive <laughs> or they're not going to hear right. it that way. Um, right. But I also tell the parents the story. You asked how the, about success. I tell them the story of Pete Sampras all the time. You know, Sampras served volleyed all the time as a junior, and everybody said he's not going to be any good. You know, he can't cover the net. He's missing all the time. And his coaches were very clear, and, and more importantly, Pete was very clear about, I'm going to win Wimbledon with my serve and volley game. And, of course, I'm too small to cover the court. Of course, I'm not skilled enough to make my volleys, and, of course, I can't get back for the overhead. But someday I will be, and if I continue to practice these skills and master these skills 10 years from now, I'll have it mastered, and maybe I'll reach my goal. Well, turns out he was right, but he took a lot of losses as a junior because he had a, he had a clarity of vision and was willing to take those losses to know that in the end he was probably going to be successful. But it takes a very unique type of person at to to accept that, especially at the age of 12, 15, 16, 17, 18, you know, while they're going through the process and they're seeing their buddies walk off with the big trophy and with the big mm. ranking, you know. And, I mean, I I guess, you know, it, gets, it goes back to that whole triangle of parent, player, and coach being on the same page and, and working together to – to, to work toward a goal, but, I mean, I, you know, I, I personally watched my own child go through a year of, of maybe winning one match at a tournament, but then being out, you know, and meanwhile the friends are winning and the rankings are going up and they're getting into the bigger tournaments and my kid's not, and, you know, it's very difficult as a, as a parent to keep going through the motions of, traveling and being away from the rest of your family and all of that, um, unless the coach has clearly explained to you or unless you personally came up through the sport and have, have a good understanding that it's not about wins and losses at a young age. It's it's about, as you said, process. Um, well, I guess you I'll, know. I'll, I'll, challenge you. I'll challenge you on that, Lisa. <laughs> um, okay. I, I would, you, you said it's, it, it's very difficult to – watch these things happen. Well, it's difficult for you because you have an ego invested in it and because you don't like your child to be suffering, right? Yeah. Because they're taking these losses. But there's so many opportunities in there where you can teach the kid about, look, <laughs> this game, every day you play, you're making 30 unforced errors or 40 unforced errors. There's so much failure that happens on the tennis court. And you're getting cut and wounded with every single failure and every single loss you take. Well, that's a brutal way to look at the things. And, and that's a, a really rough journey to say that every time I miss a forehand or every time I take a loss, I'm going to feel wounded. That's not really the right perspective for a developing player. What it should be is that gives me feedback on how I can improve. And all of these losses that I'm taking continue to give me feedback on how I can get better. And maybe it was because my effort was poor. Okay, that's feedback on, on what kind of effort it requires. Um, you know, maybe I didn't, I didn't hit my forehand well and I need to go work on that part of it. Well, that means I've got to commit more time to practicing this or have a, a better goal of this or I've got to get more depth on the shot. But whatever it is, you know, these kids aren't out there trying to lose. They're not trying to fail. 
but it is definitely part of this process. One player out of 128 is going to win a tournament. The other 127 would be pissed off. Right. So, so every single time that kid fails, be it stroke, match, tournament, or, or losing their baggage at the airport, it is a chance to help that kid learn tools that are going to carry them through life. And I think we we invest our egos so much in it that. You know, these kids feel so much pressure because they're letting down their parents and they come into the house and the energy in the house is bad because the kid lost. Well, that, that's just a miserable experience, and of course the kid's going to be turning away from the game. But if you can flip it to a positive and say, every time you make a mistake, we're going to figure out how to remedy it and improve, then I think you're setting a pathway for the kid to succeed no matter what their national ranking is or what what their junior tennis outcome is. Is it ever too late to switch gears to that type of approach and mindset? I don't think so. I mean, I think it, you know, if the kid wasn't playing junior tennis and your son came to you at 26 years old and said, Mom, I'm a college graduate, I've been in business for the last two years, and I've just screwed up three projects in the workplace, and I don't know what to do, I'm about to get fired, are you going to be disappointed in, in, the, in the child, or are you going to say, look, okay, Here's some of the things you probably learned from this job on your next interview. Explain that you made, had some failures, uh, you learned how to do the job properly, and that you're seeking a new position. And, you know, obviously you want to move forward and be successful on that one. It's all about going forward. And how do you mm-hmm. be more successful going forward from the failures you've had? And I think so many people get so emotionally wounded by these little cuts and nicks from losses that they don't look at the bigger picture that we got another 60 years to lead and it shouldn't be miserable. Right, right. I'm sorry, I sound, I sound preachy, but, uh, you know, these are the no, things no. I talk to with the kids and parents all the time. Well, I think these are important things to hear. And, and, I mean, I'm asking you the questions because, obviously, these are experiences I've had with my own kids, and I'm trying to, to get better. And I have, you know, two more years with, with my child at home. He'll be a junior in high school in the fall. And, you know, as a parent, I want those two years to be as good as they can be, as joyful as they can be, as productive as they can be, you know, all of those things. But, I mean, I'll give you an example, and, and I'd love your your take on this. Um, we were recently at our sectional clothes tournament, and um, we had the opportunity to have some of my son's matches videotaped. Um, and so I hadn't had a match of his taped in a year, so I thought, well, you know, I I need this as a keepsake. I want them, and, you know, if he wants to watch them with his coach, it'll be a great learning experience because his coach wasn't there, Um, but regardless, I want them, and so I bought the matches at the end of the tournament, and two of the matches that I bought, my son lost the match, but in my opinion, had played great tennis, you know, had a great temperament on the court, um, didn't throw his racket, didn't yell, didn't have negative muttering. You know, it was as a parent, I was really proud of what I saw out there. It was good effort and all of that. And so I was so excited when the DVDs came. Well, my son was livid that I had bought the, the videos. He said, you know, I lost the matches, I played like garbage, you think I played well, but it's only because you haven't seen me play in the last three months, and you don't know what I'm capable of, and these are garbage, and I don't, wanna, I don't want you to have these. And, you know, so I'm trying to do what, what you're espousing, which is, well, let's think of the positives <laughs> you know, that come out mm-hmm. of this experience. Um, you know, you didn't get penalized for your behavior. <laughs> that, that's a big accomplishment for my kid. Um, a lot of the officials, unfortunately, know him by name. <laughs> so um, for him to get through a whole tournament without, you know, getting a, a warning or a violation is, is a big step forward for him. And I was really proud of him because he's been working on that aspect of his game. You know, he stayed competitive the whole time, and I pointed that out to him. And I said, plus, you're getting ready to jump into some intense training. Won't it be cool to be able to compare your last tournament before this training to how you're playing at the end of the training? And we'll have that. We'll have the actual tape of matches, and you can compare. That will be so cool to be able to see that. 
Well, I'm I'm not sure I convinced him. <laughs> I think I made mm-hmm. a little bit of headway. But, um, you know, those after years of being in a coaching situation, not his current situation, but his previous situation, where it was based on did you win or did you lose, what was the score, what do you mean you lost a set 6-0, you shouldn't be losing set 6-0 at this stage, you know, that kind of thing. Um, that's from the coach, not from us. Um, it's, it's, you know, that that's his mindset. And so we're working to overcome that and, you know, trying to help him see the positives even when the outcome isn't necessarily what he wants. But, you know, I guess what I'm I'm trying to get at is, you know, are we too late or is there still hope to, to make those kinds of changes? Let me address a couple of things. Um, Federer lost 1-2-1 one, one to Rafael Nadal at the French, and he probably shouldn't lose any sets 6-1 either. <laughs> it happens. It's part of the game. Um, so let's say you shouldn't lose 6-0. Is, I mean, sure, you're probably talented enough not to, but what are the other factors going on in that moment when that's happening? Um, but from what what I heard you just say is you're really proud of the character and effort your son displayed on the court. Your son's really pissed off that you would buy a videotape of him losing. Yes. It, it's so it's so apples and oranges. It's not you're not on the same page in the conversation. So I think the first thing is to figure out, okay, like you said, what are the benefits and positives we can take from this? And are those things that he's even interested in? Does he care about his character and his effort on the court? If he doesn't, then whatever you're proud of doesn't mean anything to him. So it was that one of his goals playing these tournaments. Look, I'm trying to work on my effort. I'm trying to work on my ability to control my temperament on the court. If I, if that was one of the goals, then, okay, you've been successful. Good job, independent of the score. But if his goal in this tournament was to go out there and win three rounds and execute these things, then whatever you're talking about about character development is completely irrelevant to what he wanted from it. And therefore, he's probably upset about buying the videotapes because he doesn't see any improvement or result from it. Um so I think getting on the same page about what the goals were prior to the tournament is really important, and that's why we try to set those things before the kid goes and competes so everybody knows this is the definition of failure, this is the definition of success, and we will do an analysis post-match of whether you achieve those goals or not. So you're saying Can I answer any part of the question? Yeah, yeah I mean, totally. It's, um, it, it comes down to communication and, and clarifying goals and, and outcomes, and, and I think that's, that's a, how you glean that from my rambling just now is pretty amazing, <laughs> but I'm glad you could. Well, it's, 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 you're right, it does come down to communication. And, it, and it, again, I always look at it, I, I'm very fortunate because I get to play the mediator between the parent and the kid. So I get to see, I get to side with the player and I get to side with the parent and figure out where the, the breakdown in communication really is. And so, you know, like I said, it comes down to goal setting. Your your goals and objectives and, and the definition of success in this instance was probably very different than his. And so, of course, there's going to be conflict when something comes up that you're happy he's he's mad <laughs> because because you're not on the same page with, with what you want. Um, right. But if you can define that beforehand, then you both know how to define success and failure after the match. You know, I, I'm, I, I'm repeating myself from what I did earlier, but I, I, think, I think having the coach, the parent, that triangle that you talked about, um, mm-hmm. really be clear about every tournament they play and every six months of development, and every eight-year term of development, um, you know, hopefully a player will stay with a coach for a very long time because that coach has been properly selected by the parent to impart the wisdom and the values that the parent wants. And they build that relationship, and the coach starts to learn a lot about what's going on with the kid in school and at home, and maybe there's a girlfriend or a boyfriend that that's becoming an issue and how is that going to translate into the competitive environment? And the coach should be able to give some tools about how to remove some of those emotions from the player's time on the court and then deal with it later. I often have the kids, I have this little box, and I often have the kids write down three or four of the things that could possibly bother them during the match, and let's put them in this box, and I'm going to hold on to them during the match so they don't have to deal with them. 
And I'm, as soon as they walk off the court, I'm going to give them back to the kid. I'm going to say, I don't want your problems. <laughs> but while you're out there, have a little more clarity, and you don't have to deal with these issues. And that's liberating for them sometimes. And sometimes, you know, I'm holding on to that box, and they're, they're looking at the box going, I see my problems in your hands every time I compete. Um, so you never know what's going to work. But having having clarity and, and the clear mind to go out and just compete to try to reach your goals, I think, is what you want for the player. All right, that's great advice. All right, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, I am going to um, ask you about when it's time to make a coaching shift. So I'll give you a couple minutes to think about that while we go to commercial. Mm-hmm. We'll be right back with Craig on Parenting Aces. This is Jason Haynes, CEO of the UR Tennis Network. We are proud to announce the 2013 summer camp season has begun. At ussportcamps.com, you can plan out a Nike tennis camp experience. These are offered to both adults and juniors for day and overnight camps. Visit ussportcamps.com to pick up a brochure and join over 50,000 youth who say yes to our summer camp experience. Join a Nike tennis camp at www.ussportcamps.com or call us at 1-800-NIKE-CAMPS. In 2013, let our summer camps be your victory. Choose the Nike Tennis Camps and take your game to the next level. We're back with Parenting Aces on Blog Talk Radio's UR Tennis Network. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and I am here with Craig Signorelli talking about coaching and and goals and and choosing the right coach for your child. And Craig's offered some great words of wisdom so far. We have about a little less than 15 minutes left in the show, Craig. And so given all this amazing advice you've given us um, regarding what we should be looking for as parents in our child's coach and what our expectations should be, what if we're not getting what we think we should be getting from our child's coach? And by we, I mean the player and and the family as a unit. When it's time to make a change, what's the best way for a family to handle that? And, and you know, how how do you come to that decision that it's time to make a break? I'll probably give a, a standard answer. Um, one, when... Oh, come on! Longer... <laughs> well, I think, obviously, if the kid is not learning every single day and not focused on improvement every single day, then there's a problem. Um, you know, as painful as it may be for, for me and my profession, there are days when we see coaches do the same lesson as yesterday because, you know, they got something going on in their lives and they're not motivated to go out and, and really give 100% that day. And, you know, I, we've all hit those days and it's rough and, and it's detrimental to the player. Um, so, one, they're not learning and they're not getting new information Two, they're not motivated to show up to practice and, and go compete. And I'm, I'm assuming I'm talking to an audience that obviously is, is built of competitive tennis players. If they're recreational players, then it should really be, is the kid having fun? Is the kid enjoying the tennis experience? If they're not, if they're not begging to go to practice and they're not having to be dragged off the court, well, then maybe you look at that and say, is that a fault of the coach or is the workout too long or is my kid just you know focused on something else at this point? Um, and then I think when you do ultimately make the decision to leave, I think it's a very honest conversation with the coach and saying, look, here's some of the things that, you know, we are looking for that we don't feel are being provided. Um, and the coach will probably resist because he has built a relationship with the player and likes the kid or, or feels like there's more to offer to the kid. And that's going to be a rough conversation because it's almost – like I said earlier on, it's a dating relationship. Now it's the divorce. <laughs> um, sure, sure. You know, and, and, and you want it to be friendly, and you want to thank and praise that coach for all the work they've done um, and all the time that they've invested in the kid. And a lot of times that's, you know, 20-minute phone calls at the end of the day that the coach doesn't get paid for or showing up to the tournament that the coach doesn't get paid for or even just building a lesson plan and a development plan that the coach isn't getting paid for with their hourly rate. Um, but they've put a lot of extra time in for the kid, if, if that's happening. And thank them and, and say that, you know, we'll always remember what you've done for our son or daughter, and we'll be recommending you to other students who are looking for development, and, and we appreciate it, and let's move on as friends. Um, but a lot of times 
it's rough because you're pulling a student away from a coach who has put a lot of time and investment into a kid, and that coach is going to be angry. Um, or vice versa, the coach drops the kid, and that kid is going to be angry because, you know, the coach maybe saw that that kid wasn't uh, putting in the effort or wasn't responding to the coaching, and it just didn't seem like they should continue the relationship. So it can be painful both ways, but if you're really open and honest and, and praising of either the kid's talent or the coach's efforts, um, I think you leave on better terms and you sustain a relationship that will, will be good in the future. Great advice, great advice. Before we finish up, I I definitely want to give you an opportunity to talk about what you term mezzanine coaching or mezzanine players, which um, by your definition is is coaching a player that's finishing up maybe their junior career and transitioning either into college or onto the professional tour. And you, I know, recently had a, an incredible experience taking a, a young female player to her first professional event and coaching her through that and, and blogging your way through Mexico, um, which I just I enjoyed so much. And, and again, to our listeners, I'll, I'll have a link to that up on, on um, parentingaces.com on our links page later this week. But, um, you know, how... What's the challenge for you as a coach making that transition, and what's different when you are taking a kid from coaching them in the juniors to that next level? I think the challenge is, is probably the best part of it. Um, what The reason I tell parents that I think the kids should go out there and play professional tennis at 15 to 16 years old so they can touch it, actually let me preface this with, a lot of coaches say, look, win on your street, win on your block, win in your town, et cetera, the Wayne Bryan philosophy, and I completely yeah. agree with that. Um, however, I think it's a phenomenal experience to take the kids out there to play a couple professional events to expose them to what the intensity and energy and training mentality is on the professional court so that when they come back to the practice court and come back and look at junior tennis, they understand the distinction. Junior tennis is played at what I call a marathon pace. The kids take three and four steps per shot. They know they're going to be out there for a few hours. They, um, it's lackadaisical because they're, they're surrounded by clinics or peer groups where, um, maybe, maybe 10% of the population that they're playing against are really excelling or trying to excel. Whereas professional athletes, you know, at the Futures Challengers and getting up to the ATP and WTA level, um, those players are all the ones who did excel in junior tennis, and so they have that work ethic that's a little bit different. And when you spend a week or two on the practice court with those types of players and then you go back to junior tennis, you feel the difference in the energy, and you feel like, wow, I now have a perspective from professional play when I go and compete against the kids. And I think that builds an incredible sense of confidence um, a better understanding of what practices should really be about and about the focus and, and intensity required. So letting them touch that is what you consider a challenge, what I consider a huge benefit um, and an educational experience that they can then transfer back to juniors. And when they look at junior nationals as a 16-year-old and they say, wow, those players are so good, after they've played pro tennis for two or three weeks, they look at junior nationals and say, wow, that tennis is so bad. <laughs> and it's the same te it's the same tennis, but it's viewed through the prism of I've experienced a whole different level of this sport. Um, so I love that, what I call mezzanine coaching, is kind of bridging the gap between junior tennis to professional tennis and letting them have access to something they've never felt or seen before and then explaining to them how they can use some of that information when they go back and compete against the 16-, 17-year-old kids. How do you keep them from feeling like all is lost when they see how good these players are compared to what they're used to? Um, 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 I don't believe that they take that approach. I think they say, oh, that's where I have to get. That's the level I have to reach. You know, like I said early on in the conversation, that if they have a clear picture of where, what they're trying to achieve um, and what well, – I'll give you an example of how I work with the kids. I'll, I'll take a new 10-year-old or 11-year-old and I'll say, do me a favor, close your eyes for two minutes and describe what you look like in the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open. What are you wearing? What kind of day is it? What kind of racket are you playing with? Who's in the stands? And then 
tell me about your game. How quick are you? What type of returns do you hit? What's your move? Uh, what's your weapon? How are you finishing points? And have them play two or three points with their eyes closed and, and get a really clear vision of what they think they'll look like in the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open, right? And I say, okay, now for the next eight years, we're trying to build you to that to match that picture. Well, now they're seven, 16 or 17, and they go out there and they see those players, and they've had this picture in their head of what they look like, and they realize, oh, all of these players kind of match the picture I was doing as a kid. I know I can attain that. I think these kids step up. I don't think it's fear. I don't think it's a realization that they're not at that level. When I was in Mexico, I watched guys and girls who were well below the level of the top kids in the tournament, and they were all saying, I just need a year out here. I can beat these guys. I can beat these girls. When they when they touch it, they start to believe what they can do. And that belief and the confidence that they can reach that level and go out on the practice court and hit with these players absolutely translates when they go back to junior-level tennis. That's awesome. How often do you use that visualization with them as they go through the development process? Um, yeah, I guess I don't have a specific time frame on it. I guess just every once in a while I say, remember your picture. You know, go back to that image and are you moving toward it? If there's a really bad practice one day and the effort wasn't there or the intensity wasn't there, um, you know, I say, is that is that helping you move toward your picture or not? And on the days where they were great on the practice court, I'll use the same image and say, look, you, did you do everything that made you get closer to that 18-year-old quarterfinalist at the U.S. Open? And this is the kind of day that you want to repeat over and over so you can continue moving toward that goal. And if you do it, maybe by 15 we get to go play a pro tournament, or 16 we get to go play a pro tournament. And then you'll really feel or you'll understand why you've been doing all this work and making all the sacrifices of parties and <laughs> swim parties and uh, after-school events and Friday night football games that you're missing because you get opportunities to go out and travel the world. You get to learn the life lessons of independence and discipline and, and time management and all of those great benefits that you can apply to your life that so many of your other students aren't getting to do because they're out drinking on Friday night and watching football games and and doing normal teenage stuff, but maybe not having those character traits and, and personality traits that are going to benefit them and become greater successful people in, in profession and relationships, et cetera. Um, so explain why the sacrifices may be worth it, and that empowers the player and hopefully they realize that this is a beneficial game to get into and stick with. Have you, have you ever had a player come to you and say, I don't want to do this anymore? I, I'm tired of sacrifice. Mm. I, I don't. I just don't want to do it anymore. No. No, I had a player that I told that. <laughs> I, I said, you thought they weren't you know, working hard enough? or Yeah, I, I, I told the player... Um, you know, you you are really struggling to understand what the commitment required to be a Division One collegiate tennis player in the top ten in the country is really all about. Um, so let's have a real conversation about that and tell me if you're willing to make that sacrifice. And they said, well, I just I don't have time to do it. I don't have the energy to do it. I don't have the support to do it. And I said, well, then maybe this is a mistake. You know, maybe just either lower the expectations, which is I, I dread that word um, or that phrase, but sometimes you got to take a real hard reality check and say, look, this is what you can do, and let's maximize whatever potential you have. But maybe the goal that you're setting is unreachable because you're just not willing to put in the commitment. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm just curious, I mean, because, you know, that, that conversation, I have that conversation in my head a lot. Um, mm-hmm. how, how did the parents react to that, or, or were the parents present during that conversation? No, I would have that conversation with the player first um, and then say, let's sit down and talk to mom and dad and explain why why things are the way they are. And, you know, a lot of the times the parents are going to be upset with that. Sure. I shouldn't, a lot of the times, I mean, I've only had it once, but they're going to be really upset. They put in a lot of time and energy and, and effort into it. But, you know, sometimes it's just reality. This happened. You know, let's just be happy your kid is alive and not, really sick with some horrible disease and, and let's look at the positives that have come from whatever amount of effort have already been used up to this point and whatever life lessons have been used to this point. And, you know, again, always look forward and stop looking back with the regrets and pains and things that might have happened, but how do you use this as a positive experience to go to tomorrow? 
Well, I, you know, there's so many challenges um, from the parenting side. Talking to you, it makes me realize how many challenges there are from the coach's <laughs> side as well. And, I, you know, I don't know that, that every coach is willing to take on those challenges just as every parent's not willing to take them on. Um, but it sure is enlightening and eye-opening to hear your perspective on all of this. And, and you know, hopefully I, I will have learned from this and can internalize some of it and, and translate it into actual action. Um, and I hope my listeners can too. We're down to our last few seconds. So, before we end, I just want to give you the opportunity, Craig, is there anything else you would like to share, any last parting words of wisdom or or advice or, or questions you want to pose? Well, I, I, I can tell you that when I was on the trip to Mexico with the 16-year-old girls, their first pro tournaments, and um, she... Progressive presents Mind Flowness with Flow. You are a mighty fortress of supreme knowledge. Progressive Direct has not only revealed their rates but those of their competitors. If you were any more in the know, you would be drowning in, you know, the know. Compare Progressive Direct rates with competitors' rates because knowledge is power. Visit Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy.